Okay, if you have your Bible, we're going to uh, be back in the, uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're still uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, examining the Beatitudes, uh, and slowly but surely progressing, we are up to verse 9 in chapter 5. Verse 9, chapter 5 of Matthew. And it reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, that we can come together, that we can open your word. We can divide it, dear Lord, and apply it to our hearts. I pray that you would uh, give us great yearnings to learn, Lord, and to absorb uh, your goodness, your love through your word, dear Lord, and everything that you furnish with us. And Lord, we pray that this time together we'll add a blessing and we'll lift you up and glorify you in all that we say and do. We ask these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Now John 5, 9 uh, uses the only time that the word peacemaker is used in the New Testament. Uh, and not only is it the only time it's used in the New Testament, but it's used metaphorically uh, as well. So a peacemaker, being this metaphor, is only used this one time, but we know that every time Christ spoke, every time Christ's word was recorded, it was very direct, very impactful, and it was always to the point. And so we're going to explore just a little bit in the next few minutes of uh, what's to be found here. Now, when we think about peace and a peacemaker, I think the first thing that comes to our mind um, is focus on peace in the world. We think about the world and the situations that we face each and every day and the actions of peacemaking that may be uh, somewhat promoted in the world, but there's never any, seems to be any uh, success along those lines. So first of all, there will be no world peace to be found. God's word says that man will always be in contention and striving against one another uh, throughout time, and there will be no world peace to be found. There will be little tidbits here, tidbits there. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget reading uh, as a uh, high school student when we examined the, uh, the ramifications and the whole... Uh, uh, circumstances behind World War II, literally the whole continent of Europe thought this is world peace. This will be world peace. But there was many that were not fooled by what had just taken place. Yes, there was a very evil, uh, evil uh, set of people, a very evil country, and a very evil dictator that was thwarted and killed, but yet there was some that were keen enough to know that this would not be world peace. Although in comparison of, of what they had experienced the previous six years, it was probably pretty peaceful. But there will be no world peace to be found in our lifetimes or the lifetimes of those coming after us. And there will also be no political peace to be found. Have you ever seen the like of contentiousness and the, the bickering and and uh, conniving going on in just, just Congress today. But all across the political spectrum, they are literally at each other's throats each and every day. And it'll escalate. It'll escalate as we go forward. So there's no political peace to be found either. There'll be no cultural peace to be found. We have, since the, 
dawning of time, since God's creation in the Garden of Eden, we have continually found ourselves at odds with each other's culture and our cultural uh, aspects as we live them. We have continually found ourselves uh, uh, in, in wars with, with each other because of cultural differences. We have found people in our pathways today, people that we might work with, people that we might, um, that we might uh, uh, go to a certain uh, function with, people that we might be involved in sports with. And I can go on and on, but listen, maybe even people that we worship with may have cultural differences, and we find ourselves at odds with them. But worldwide, you will not find any cultural peace as well. There will also be no generational peace to be found. Generation after generation after generation will always be in contention with the previous generations and the generations to come. It's just the change of the world. Uh, I think back uh, my boyhood here right, right in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and some of you that were here or other places, you can attest to this. There was a time, uh, just to focus on the, the church aspect of it, there was a time when I was a young boy that uh, church-going people, as they coined the phrase, church-going people were uh, actually held up in esteem. People had esteem for people that went to church and, and worshiped God. There was actually a time when, when those people were talked about as, he's a man that you can depend on his word. He is a, she's a lady that you can depend on her advice. There was a time when these people were held up in esteem. Through the culmination of the years and the ongoing of the years in my life as a young adult and into middle-age adulthood, I've seen the transition from not just being held up high in esteem and admired in some circumstances, but I've seen actually that people began to just be passive towards Christians here in Rock Hill, South Carolina. They just said, that's good, you go to church, that's good for you. You do that. If it makes you feel good, do it. If, they, if that's what you want, but, but don't infringe on me. Don't push that on me, but you're good to go. What have we come to today? In 2023, we're now under attack, Moses. We're under attack from the world outside of these doors, and here's the scary thing, sometimes inside of these doors. There are churches that are at each other's throats today cults, uh, different believisms uh, in the world today and some of the modern churches under attack today. So there's no peace to be found or guaranteed in the body of the church. There's no guaranteed peace in educational arenas. I would have never in my life believed that a, that a, a school board would stand up and say, tell a parent of a child that was their responsibility and they're raising, and they're paying everything that ever comes to that child for, and they're, they're literally raising that child, and them stand in a, in, a, in a podium and say, you have no control over what we teach your child. I would have never believed it. But yet, here we are. Here we are. There's no guaranteed peace in educational arenas as well. There's no guaranteed peace in the workplace. I have never seen the more bickering fighting, fussing that goes on in workplaces today. Even though there are rules many times and regulations within the structures of that workplace against that sort of thing, 
There's always the backbiting, the whispering, the downgrading, the cursing, and on and on and on. There'll be no peace found in the workplace. And here's a scary one. There's no peace guaranteed in the home. Time after time after time, we watch the contentious natures of homes, and it's not always the parents and the children. Sometimes the children witness the parents in contention against each other. So peace is not guaranteed in the home. Peace can be a fleeting ideal that is hard to find. The only guaranteed peace offering to the world is found in salvation. And God offers that for eternal peace. Hence, the peacemaker Jesus speaks of this in this passage. And there are those that have made eternal peace with God. And that's what Christ means here. And that's the definition of peacemaker. You see, from the garden, uh, why would we need to make peace with the creator of all things and our designer? Why would we need to make peace? Because as sin reared its ugly head in the garden, there was a chasm created between sin and a holy God. We can't reach across that chasm, and God will not reach across to an unholy set of people. So we stand inside of the Adamic curse that's brought upon by the transgressions that started in the garden and still continue today. But we've created that great chasm between our sinful selves and a holy God, and that literally, listen, puts man at war with a holy God. That chasm in our sin natures that we contain in our lives puts us at war with God. We are at war with Him. So what do we try to do during a time of war? Well, hopefully we try to seek peace. So there's only one way for peace, and that's Christ. There's no place to be found and no peace to be found in our sinful state. And there's no peace to be offered because of our sinful state. Did you get that? There's no peace to be found with God because of our sinful flesh. But God, but God, he bridged that chasm when he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins, a debt that he did not owe and a debt that we could not pay. He bridged that chasm. Justice condemns us, but mercy relieves us. Do you know, do you realize we should never, ever in our life ask for justice? I have heard many times, especially at at some sort of demonstration, uh, some sort of protest, I have heard many times, I want justice. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You want mercy. You don't want justice but you want mercy. Only through faith in Jesus and his redemptive work on Calvary can we obtain this mercy that God has to offer. Only through that. So Romans 5.1 says, because now we're at war, our sinful nature is at war with the holy God. And Romans 5.1 reads, therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened? So what happened is we sought peace. We simply put faith in God. And here's a key, and don't miss this one as well. We're still guilty. He just paid the penalty. We still stand guilty in the face of a holy God because of our sinful nature and our sinful acts and our sinful thoughts. And I can go on and on and on. We're still guilty. But he paid the price that we could not pay and redeemed us. What do we mean by redemption? Redeeming. The first things that come to mind, and some of my dear friends in here will remember it as well, there was a, a store right up across from Winthrop College, and it was the Green Stamp Store. And when you went to the grocery store during the week, and you bought your groceries, depending on the level of money that you spent at that grocery store, you were handed green stamps. The little machine would print them out, and as a child, I'd stand there. It was just amazing. It would print those stamps out, and you'd get them, and, and then you'd take them home. They'd give you a book, and you'd take them home, and you'd lick the back of them nasty. That's the nastiest taste of stuff I've ever tasted in my life. But you'd put those stamps in that book. Well, guess what happened when you got the book full? You got to go to the green stamp store, and you got to redeem it you got to redeem that that's exactly what christ did for us he purchased us he redeemed us out of our sinful penalty not out of our sinful nature but out of our sinful penalty that we owed god because what did we deserve death and hell death and hell nothing less than death and hell and yet christ paid our price he paid our penalty as he went and purchased it with his blood. So how does God see us now? He sees us redeemed and purchased with a price to spend an eternity with him in his kingdom. All of a sudden, God doesn't look upon us as he once did with the disdain for our sinful lives and that he still looks at those that are in the world today lost. He doesn't look at us like that anymore. Why? Because he's looking through the filter of Christ's blood. Just the other day, we were having a, a Bible study, and we talked about it, Susan and I, that every, every person that God sees that is a child of God, he sees that blood sprinkled on you. You're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And that's what he sees, and he sees perfection of Christ. Nothing that we have to offer, but perfection of Christ through that blood. So God now sees us as redeemed and purchased. So we're no longer estranged from God. When we become a peacemaker, we've now made peace with the holy God who we were at war with to that point. But now we're a child of God. We have been adopted and made an heir of this king, God. So, our focus on peace in the world, we should change our focus to peace with God because here's the key. There's nothing we can do We've seen peacemakers throughout the years. I always remember as, once again, a young boy, uh, every night, 6 o'clock news, every night, they brought Vietnam and the Vietnam War into our living room every night. And through that midst, I learned a man's name, uh, and, and he, he was, uh, happened to be that I didn't understand fully as a, as a young child, but he was president of the United States. I understood that. And... Um, he was uh, Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon just talked peace, peace, peace. I'm going to bring peace 
uh, in, in Vietnam. I'm going to bring, bring peace in, in Southeast Asia. I'm going to let that peace filter into China. I'm going to have peace over there in that country. Well, guess what happened? The whole time he was preaching that peace, he was bombing the tar out of North Vietnam unbeknownst to the American people. He was literally killing thousands and thousands. This is the president of the United States that would stand in front of a television camera and lie to the American people every night. But yet they called him a peacemaker. He had a right-hand man named Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger may go down in history as the biggest manipulator and liar to ever be on the political scene. Lie after lie after lie, day after day after day. And it come to a point that in 1972, he literally, he literally sold out South Vietnam. He sold them out to the north. And within four years, they were completely one country, slaughtered by the millions. And you hear that story many times in the killing fields. Look it up if you have a chance. Such a tragedy. But it's all because these men lied. They lied to the extent that the American military listened, who shouldn't have been there to start with, but they were pulled out. And everything would be okay for the South Vietnamese. We're going to leave them all the equipment, all the ammunition, all the things they need to fight off the North Vietnamese. And so the North Vietnamese will just, they'll stay with that 37th parallel. They'll stay above it, and there won't be any more war over there. We, we are the peacemakers. It didn't work. It didn't work. And everything you hear in the news today between Russia and anywhere that they go into, it will not work. Why? Because men's hearts, or Christ said, desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And it's the nature. Only can that peace be made when we accept Christ. Through the faith that he offers can we make peace with God. And that peace will never happen on earth. So we have to stay ready. We have to stay ready to not only defend our God, but to promote our God. Because there's others out there that need this Christ that we speak of. There's others that need to experience this peace and become a peacemaker with God in their life. There's others that need those same things that we've talked about tonight. So what do we do? What does Park Baptist Church do to endeavor or, or to gain those endeavors in their lives? What do we do? We send mission teams out. We send missionaries out. We week after week, book, you know, book after book, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, we teach God's Word, and we love people. We love people. And it's evident in our church. We can't ever stop that. We can't ever stop what we're doing for God because we can help them become peacemakers as well. They can make peace with that God through salvation. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for for our children, for our friends and our loved ones, and just the lost and dying world in general. That's why we're here, to bring others to Christ. Everything we do, Every preacher we send out, every church that we, we go to, every church that we uh, start up, uh, or every church we go in to, to rejuvenate, 
Why? To promote God and to promote salvation. That's what we're here for. But sadly, many of the churches today have lost the focus. They've lost the focus of being a real peacemaker and bringing those to Christ. There's churches today that um, is, they have different agendas. They have different agendas. And here's the scary thing. They'll preach a watered-down gospel just to get people in the doors. They'll preach a feel-good gospel to get people in the doors. They want to have people smiling when they leave. No tears over concern for your sin. No tears over conviction of the Holy Spirit. Feel good when you leave. And I love to feel good. I feel good when we leave here. We've been under God's man, preaching God's word, people singing God's music, and people teaching God's word. I feel good. But sin is convicting. And we always have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to be those peacekeeper promoters. We've already made our peace if we've accepted Christ. And if there's anybody here that has never, I implore of you, and I always will every time I stand here, please speak to me, one of the elders, speak to somebody, and we can tell you more about Christ and his salvation. Be a peacekeeper and promote peacekeeping. Help bring others to an aura of peacekeeping in their life that they might make peace with God. There's only one way, through Christ. Through Christ, Romans 5.1 says it plainly, only through Christ can we be that peacekeeper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for, God, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the hearts that are uh, convicted, dear Lord, to the point of getting out on your mission field and out on um, places that are not so pleasant sometimes, dear Lord, just to... to spread the gospel, to tell others the good news about the salvation that's offered through you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to, to hold us accountable, not only in our community, dear Lord, but around the world uh, for those instances where we can make a difference and we can make an impact in the world. Lord, we thank you for those that are on the mission uh, fields uh, this week, dear Lord, even as we speak. I pray that you touch them, you bless them, dear Lord, you bless their time with the with the people they're ministering to. I pray that you would have it to be fruitful and that through it all, God, that others would come to know you as Savior. Lord, we thank you for each and every function in our church. We thank you for each and every leader, each and every servant, dear Lord, and continue to burden our hearts to, to reach this lost and dying world. Lord, we love you, and we give this upcoming prayer time over to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.